Hello and welcome to episode 307 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And joining me as always is the glorious League Freak. You can also find me on Twitter at League Freak. How are you going there, mate? I'm going very well, Andrew. Congratulations. Thank you, mate. Thank you. I'm so, talking about I'm talking about uh, the Tigers going so close to winning. Yeah, it was it was it was it was glorious. The fact that we were ever so close to getting one of those very elusive back to back wins. Mm. Um, so it was it was good also not to lose by forty points because that's typically what happens after we win a game of footy. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Also, the whole baby thing as well. Oh yeah, yeah that was um, well, you know. Fucking amazing. Um, <laughs> by the way, and I said this to Nadine in the last episode, absolute gangster move. You keep it from everyone, and then you're just like, oh, yeah, new baby. Yeah, on, on Twitter it's been pretty um, pretty funny. I don't, and no one's really picked up on it because they've just gone, yeah, new baby. And by the way, here's some stats. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was great. <laughs> Resume natural pro- national you know, normal program, but um, <laughs> uh, it's been been fantastic. I dare say I'll be very quiet on social media for the next few weeks, but um, yeah. yeah, he's very um, very healthy. Bubba and Mum and Bubba both in great health and doing well, so it's it's all fantastic. That's so awesome. Um, yeah, that's about all the fantastic stuff there is to talk about in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's just go to a completely different zone now. Yeah, so for the last week and a half, two weeks, there's been quite a few rumblings. I mean, you've heard us talk about it, and that is the impact that the fatigue is having on the game and on the players, and how it's having a it is making a contribution to the amount of head knocks that's happening in the game at the moment. And so, obviously, the NRL thought that that I don't know they 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 realise that there's something's going on there. Mm-hmm. They've noticed that there's more head knocks going on in the game in the last 18, 20 months because they've given their referees pretty much an edict to use the sin bin more aggressively, mm-hmm. and they have been. And that all started last week at Magic Round, which pissed a lot of people off. Yeah. Um. So amongst all this criticism, for some reason... After a lot of people talked about, and this is the thing I find funny, a lot of people talked about the fact that um, Todd Greenberg was a bit spineless mm-hmm. and very reactive. And one of the things I liked about Peter Volandis is the fact that he wasn't reactive, he was proactive. Um, Peter Volandis has come out being rather reactive. <laughs> Super reactive, yeah. Um, and, and I think the guy's interesting. saying, he's touchy. <laughs> yeah. And the like the media was huge on that. They were massive on that. Oh, you know, he's going to be proactive with everything. And look, I've got to put my hand up. I said we needed a dictator running the game. And, you know, this is what we've got. I was wrong. You're probably right. We just need a dictator who knows how to run the game. Well, you know, I was thinking about this, right? We were sceptical when the media was talking him up. But then, remember, he had that first press conference and you and me were like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. And it just hasn't stopped since then. No. I I think I think I've probably been more opposed to him from the outset. And initially I'll even admit, probably a bit unfairly because um because the mainstream media, especially the Daily Telegraph people, were so um 
so positive about him. Mm. Like they were pushing hard for him to get on the RL, RL, what is it? ARLC. Yep. They were demanding that he becomes the next boss, and they were talking all these great reasons to why he should be the boss, and everything. I was like, I'm going, something about this just doesn't sit right with me. Yeah. I don't like the fact that they like him so much. But that's not a good thing. And so it, I'll, I'll admit it, it has swayed me a little bit the whole time. Mm-hmm. But I've never. I've never once thought the whole, you know, the whole time I've been critical of him that there's a chance I may have been wrong. It yeah. just seems like it was a gut instinct and I was just right on it. Yeah. And I'm not saying that in a gloating fashion. I am not pleased to be right about this because what he's doing to the game is... Um, it's almost heartbreaking what he's doing to the game. Yeah, it's a bit shocking, isn't it? Yeah. To the point where he's now ruining the game and this touchy prick is now getting really sensitive about it. So he's trying to produce a bunch of data to support what he's doing. And all he's done is made things really bad for himself. It's almost like he's, he's, he doesn't realize that most of the analysts and statisticians that do exist in rugby league do not work in mainstream media. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it was a it's it was a miscalculation when they've put this statement out. Uh, I I can't believe there was nobody around him that said, you know what? I understand what you're trying to do and the message you're trying to put out, but these statistics are going to be torn apart immediately, and they were. Yeah, um, it's. I just looked at him and immediately thought, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Mm. You know, um, there's a great article by um, Liam from Pythago NRL. If you're not following on Twitter, you should. Yeah. Um, he put out a great article about it, but he's got a great line in there amongst it all. And it's, um, I'll read this, it's a quote from the article. It says, at its most basic level, it's insulting that the NRL thought this would placate anyone. The kind of people swayed by statistics are generally not swayed by bad statistics and, and have keen enough noses to smell dumb shit a mile off. The kind of people who aren't swayed by stats, people I would generously call Vlandy's base, aren't going to care. Who is this for and what point is it really trying to make? Yeah. And that's the crux of the whole thing. So let's dive into this stupid statement that came out to start with. Yeah, let's um, do it. Let's do it. This came out on the 20th of May. The NRL today releases the below data of key football and fatigue-related indicators in the game and corrects some misconceptions about the changes in the game over the last two years. Now, I just want to interrupt him there because some of the people who are complaining about the fatigue-related aspects of the rule changes Mm -hmm. have been the actual fucking players. Yeah, that you know, and, and that's the thing that got me about a lot of this. It was basically, and and you'll see it as it, the Andrew reads the article. It was like, I know what your eyes say, but you're wrong. But then the problem was the players were also saying the same thing that everyone else was saying. Mm-hmm. So, and the players were not happy. But the the argument the players were making has been completely supported by data. Yes. And so what what we'll see here is how people who don't know how to use data will just throw it around willy-nilly thinking, well, that's job done. Mm-hmm. Um, so he goes on, one of the most important roles of our football department is to collate data on every aspect of our game. 
We make significant investments in this area because it's important. We understand exactly what's happening on the field and enables us to improve player welfare and assist in enhancing the fan experience. That data highlights the following matters. It's um, interesting that they mentioned that little uh, paragraph there because they've kind of ignored it for the last two years. Mm-hmm. While there's a perception the players have never been more fatigued, the data simply does not support that assertion. Remember that, people. Mm-hmm. He's saying right here that the players, are, while the players are saying they're more fatigued, he's saying that's a perception and the data does not support the fact that they're more fatigued. Now, if we go back 12 months, a whole bunch of rules were brought in and changes were brought in. And I kid you not, if you have a look, you'll find the uh, the actual wording was saying that they wanted to increase the amount of fatigue to get the little men back into the game again. Yeah, that's what they were aiming for, was yeah. to bring more fatigue in. And I don't really understand why, because... There was a perfect amount of fatigue in the game when they made these rule changes. Like, it it wasn't like we were getting to the end of games and you were still seeing giant forwards running around and being completely fine, which we saw when it was unlimited in the change, Mm -hmm. and it was dramatically like a problem for the game. Um, it, It was at the perfect balance. The game had got to a really perfect balance where... You know, larger players were getting fatigued. Uh, backs were getting fatigued as well. We are seeing line breaks. We are seeing really good football. And, you know, they they literally said, we want to break this down further. Yeah. And what we've got now is a game where, you know, when you look at it, the best team, and we've got five best teams at the moment because they're the only ones with a positive points difference on the ladder, which is another statistic we'll get into later. But those top five teams, they are really good at playing just wide of the middle of the ruck. Yeah. And they run all their traffic down through there, and it's just big men on small men out wide, one-on-one shit. Um, and that's all they do. They run those corridors. And you're seeing now that every other team now is trying to do the same thing. They've all got a big player out wide. You've got Kikau, Tigers have got like Luciano Loua, you've got Big Tino and David Fafita at the Titans, so on and so forth. And they, they're just getting those blokes and running them wider of the ruck. And you get those huge humans running at centres. That's mm-hmm. all they're doing. It's low percentage football. That's, that's what these rules have created is low percentage footy. Um, so it says here, players who are fatigued are more likely to make errors. That That's... A bold statement. Yeah. Yet the error rate over the last three years has remained flat. And as I just said, the reason why it's remained flat is because there's less ball movement now. Because mm-hmm. possession is key now. And it's so easy to get possession and get a repeat set now because of the set restarts. Um, yeah. So you don't play expensive football anymore. You don't try and push passes anymore. What you try and do is one outs, two outs, that sort of stuff. And you, you do two, three passes from the play the ball, and that's about it. And when you're passing the ball less, less chance for errors. Surprise, mm-hmm. surprise. And you're passing the ball less because you're tired. And you like, I think Penrith is a really good example of that. And we talked about this before the podcast. You know, their attack is nothing special, really. At, they rely on that, that percentage football where you just play through your sets 
you kick for field position, you grind the other team into the ground, and then eventually your attack comes when they break physically. You know, it's not like this team that is undefeated, one of the few teams that have got this far undefeated in a season ever. It's not like they're doing it by playing this incredible throw-it-around football that we've seen from even their team in 2003 was a far better all-round attacking team than this one. Yeah, exactly. It's just very intelligent, low-risk um, you know, possession. It's all about possession and field position play. That's what they're doing. They're doing it so much better than everybody else. Yeah. I mean, you look at you know some of the best players that the Panthers have got this year are Brian Toto. Mm-hmm. He's just making tons of metres. And it's not through the middle. It's doing kick returns up the side. Yeah. And all they're doing is breaking down and wearing out the edge defenders on both sides of the field all game mm-hmm. till they get to the point where you can just run kick out down there. And if, kick out is a, an absolute prick to tackle when you've, you know, you've fully healthy and fit and you've got all, you know, you haven't done any much, much exercise yet and you're ready to go. He's had enough then. But when you've been trying to get Brian to, to the ground, for half an hour, and he's just making massive numbers of post-contact metres. And then when he finally doesn't come to the ball, you're like, oh, finally, that speedy bastard's not running the ball back at me. You know, you've got this 110-kilo giant running at you, you're like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> That's what they do. Yeah, That's yeah. what they do. And, you know, the Storm are doing, doing it better and better. That's one thing the Roosters have been doing really strong. So even though the Roosters have had a whole heap of spine players out, their kick returns have been so strong and they've had good, strong forwards running the ball up on those edges as well. Mm-hmm. It makes it so much easier to make metres and, and to get your opponent on the back foot. It's showing that what we're, you know, the Roosters especially are showing that you can actually win these games and it doesn't matter too much who your little men are. Yeah. And that's not to dis, you know give any discredit to the little men they've got there. Sam Walker has been an absolute revelation for the club. He's been fantastic. But a lot of it comes off the fact that every time he gets the ball in good attacking position, the defence are still going backwards because of all of those great runs before it. And a lot of them are edge runs. That's yeah, you and, your momentum. And look, I, I would say, look at this overall season. How many t- how many of these teams would you look at and say, wow, their attack is really clicking. They're just unbelievable. And, you know, the Panthers... We've just talked about them. I don't think the Storm's attack has clicked this year. Parramatta's attack is like so-so, I think. You know, the the Bunnies, we haven't really seen them have a whole game where they've looked like they're on fire. You know, the Roosters have had their problems, and like I'm willing to say that a lot of that's to do with their incredible injury toll, which we'll get to. Um, And everyone else is just like a mess in attack. Yeah, and yet teams are still racking up 30 and 40 points a game. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it says here, the error rate over the last three years has remained flat. The error rate today is almost the same as the error rate before the new rule changes. So I'll just have a quick look here at handling errors. Mm-hmm. After 10 rounds, we're sitting at 18.13 handling errors per game in 2021. In 2019, it was 18.24. So yeah, it's kind of flat there. It was 18.51 last year. But in 2018, 14.36. That's four handling errors per game less. Yeah. That's 
That's a fair bit. Pretty significant jump, that. Yeah. And it's not it's not going backwards either. No. You know. Um, players are running about 500 metres less per game this season than last season and consistent with the number of metres run in 2019. Now, if you're tired, would you be running more? <laughs> <laughs> I, I would also guess that when we're seeing teams march upfield and getting six again, six again, six again, as we saw a lot at the start of this year, you're basically attacking within the you know 15 metres of the line. It's not like you're marching upfield anymore. You know That's what I right. mean? A lot of your play then is going sideways, not yep. forwards. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's that's another very telling stat that they don't share. So it's conveniently forgotten. What's also forgotten, and I'm, I haven't had a chance to look at it yet, but I plan on checking out to see the difference between meters gained between the teams that win games and the teams that lose games, because I think the margin, the gap between those, is probably wider than it's ever been. And I would suggest too the time in possession. It will be outrageous, and yep. that the field position, I think, is I I've never seen a season where literally there have been teams that have not got out of the half in a half of football. Yeah. Um, now the next one is um, fascinating. There's now seven point seven tries per game compared to just over six point six in twenty nineteen. Okay. okay. So he's telling us that there's. 1.1 tries per game more now than 2019. Okay, So there's, one. there's more attack, and the fans love attack. Yeah, one. Mm. 1.1. One. Okay, he says that means the players are getting more stoppages. One. Just 1.1 one more stoppages per game this year than previous years. This increase in tries coincides with players running faster from tackle breaks and in open play. How do you make that conclusion? Yeah, from tackle breaks. It's an interesting one. Okay, so... I mean, they. I guess that they would be using the GPS data to calculate that. Well, um, they do have tackle breaks data. Mm-hmm. So let's have a look there. So he says that the, the in, there's been an increase in players running fast from tackle breaks in open play. Okay, so the number of tackle breaks in 2019, which is when he started that, was 61.61 per game. Mm-hmm. In 2020, it dropped down by 5 per game to 56.32, mm-hmm. and it's gone up by 1.5 this year. So it's four, almost four tackle breaks per game less this year than in 2019. Yet somehow he says it's gone up. That's a weird one. That's a weird one. Mm. Um, if we want to go on further with breaks, I mean line breaks. In 2019, we had 7.41 line breaks per game. This year, it's 9.14. Yeah, 1.7 like, line breaks more per game. Yeah, and you can't. Get, I mean, you just can't get around that. But like, we're seeing we're seeing way more line breaks. We're seeing, and it, because you see a team physically break, like, yeah. And, so and it's obvious to see. The thing I don't understand is that they've put out these statistics and they're trying to say what you're watching is not what is actually going on, but it is dramatic what we're watching. Yeah. To me, what that says, when you toss that in alongside the fact that the number of tackle attempts has decreased 
in 2021 compared to the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, to, to last year. So the number of tackle attempts this year is seven more per game than in 2019. So it's it's pretty flat. Mm-hmm. But the number of line breaks has increased pretty dramatically. Mm-hmm. The number of tackle breaks has dropped a bit. So that suggests to me pretty clearly that players are now getting beaten clean. Yeah, and that like so much more easy and so much more frequently. Yes, and I I would bet money that when you're beaten clean, and we've talked about this uh, in English rugby league as well, where you and me have watched games where a team has been absolutely... There was a Huddersfield game, I believe, you and me watched, and one of the sides absolutely destroyed the other side, and it was already over at halftime, and they had recorded something ridiculous, like only four missed tackles. That's and right, yes. We, we were like, yeah, that's because they're just not even getting to attempt the tackle. They're just being run around, and I would bet that that comes into it as well. Exactly. That is exactly what's happening. So we've got players are so tired... And because of the set restarts, they're not getting their defensive line set properly. Mm-hmm. And so players are going through those gaps so easily. It doesn't register as a, as a line. Sometimes it won't register as a line break because they've got outside the defensive line. So there's no line to break if the line's ended, you know, 15 yeah. metres in field. You're just running around the line. Yeah. Um, the number of tries increasing. That's, that's another stat. I, I put out a graph covering the first... Um, you know, the number of tries scored by winning teams. Mm-hmm. Sorry, number of points scored by winning teams compared to the number of points scored by losing teams in the first 80 games of every season since 1947. Mm-hmm. And surprise, surprise, the widest gap, so the widest margin in points scored, happens to be 2021. Yeah. And it's considerable. Yeah. It's something like 14... Uh, yeah, 1,437 points is the current margin between the winning teams and losing teams after 80 games. Mm-hmm. The last time it was that high was, I think, 1996. Okay. Then 1995 before that. And then 2005, 2003. And after that, it's quite a bit lower. But 2021 is still comfortably clear of all of those years. Yeah. And... Those years all had pretty significant changes going on. So 95, 96, we had four new teams coming to the comp in a hit. Yeah, yeah. So obviously it means that there's four four new whipping boys. So history shows that every time a new team comes in, they pretty much get flogged yeah. their first year or two. And when you've got four of those teams coming in in once, yeah, you're going to get one or two years where those teams are just going to get absolutely pounced on every single week. And then we had... All the drama that went on when the game reunified after the Super League War mm-hmm. and the stupid rules they had there with unlimited interchange and stuff like that, naturally, points are going to be scored a lot. And then when they finally scrapped those, those margins and the number of points being scored started to get closer. And so the margins started to get smaller and smaller. In 2015, it was one of the smallest it's been um, since the early 90s. So we started to get to a point where things were starting to even out. We started to get a, a much tighter competition. And then 2019 went up a little bit. 2020 went up pretty high. And then 2021, it's going through the roof. Yeah. And the thing is, too, that, like, you know, there's been rule changes over the game's history where they have seen that the balance of the game has has been off kilter so it's too defensive which we saw in the 80s 
And that, I mean, the, the change to the 10 meter rule was dramatic. But when it came in, you could see that that's what the game needed. And it was immediately something that you just knew it was the right thing to do. And it brought things back into balance. And so we have had these tweaks from time to time where they've brought the game back into balance. The problem with this one is that or the ones that they've made ever since we come back from COVID, every single tweak has been in one direction, and that's to to try and help there be more attacking football in the mind of the NRL. And it has thrown the entire game off balance. And, you know, they're not, instead of looking at it and saying, okay, we've got a problem here that the game's off balance now, and anyone can see it that watches the game. Instead of saying, okay, we've got a problem, we've got to rein it back in, they're doubling down. Yeah. And they're saying, oh, no, 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 we're right about this. We're right about this. When you're watching the game, and not only are the games messy, not only are we seeing more injured players, not only are we seeing, I mean, we've all seen the try statistics for outside backs are going through the roof all of a sudden. It, everything is pointing in the one direction that these rule changes have not had, at the very least, they've not had it, the intended um, idea behind them that they're going to make attacking football better because they just haven't. We might see the points go up, but the attacking football is not better. No, it isn't. Because we're playing, as as I said before, we're playing low percentage football. You know, the teams mm. who play the least riskiest football right now are the teams who are going to go on and win. Yeah. Um, that's typically the case. And, you know, you just got to hold the ball. It's a pretty simple thing it gets down to. If, if just holding the ball and getting good field position are the two main goals that you have as a team, mm-hmm. you're going to win the majority of your, of your games now. And that's... That's made things, you know, yeah. That's just that's just silly. I think, in my view, you need yeah, to be, you need to, you need to show some form of skill to win a game, not just hold the ball and not not be risky. Yeah, and like when you watch Penrith play, they like if you see Penrith knock the ball on in their own half. As a Panthers fan, I'm like, that's not our game plan. Our game plan is to just work through our sets, basically. Clear his kicking game is fantastic, and then we just keep them down in their end of the field. And we do that for 60 minutes, and by the time that happens, the other team is completely stuffed, and then it's just a weight of possession we get them on. Yeah. Like, it's not like we're looking at these games and saying, well, Penrith hasn't lost a game this season because they are, you know, like a hot knife through butter in attack. It's just not that sort of attack that we're seeing this year. Mm. They're, they're methodical. Mm. That's what they're doing right now. Um, now, the next odd line here, the average distance covered at more than 20 kilometres per hour. <laughs> just, just remember that. Okay, so you're you're running at 20 k's an hour. Mm-hmm. Has risen from 255 metres per game in 2019 to 299 metres per game in 2021. That's 44 metres per game extra. Player speeds at more than 25 kilometers per hour have risen moderately from 47 metres to 53 metres over the same period. Now, how f- oh, running at 20 or 25 k's an hour, and that, that number going up by any number mm. is not insignificant because it would be taxing on the body. I don't yeah. care how fit an athlete you are to be running at 20 or 25 kilometres an hour. 
and to be doing more of it. How does how do you argue that that does not imp- does not add to fatigue? There's no way you can. Like, <laughs> no. th- there's no way you can at all. And you know what that is showing is also they're the clean breaks, and it's not. It's obviously not just one player because if it, it was one player making a break, the the average wouldn't go up so dramatically because this is the average across all the players that hit that number. So you're making the break, and it's the players that are running alongside you, and then, and not even talking about the the defenders who have got to turn around and chase you. Mm. And look, if you're getting up to that speed, the chances are you're almost scoring, or yeah. you're at the very least setting up what is close to being a try, or at the very, very, very least, the opposition team is backpedaling to try and stop you. Like they're in massive trouble. That's right. It's it's very cherry picked data. Yeah. Um, you know, so... it's data that's trying to make out this. It's data that's trying to paint a picture of um, positive attacking statistics, and but because it's cherry picked data, it, it's you know the best some of the best attacking plays. Uh, short balls off halfbacks and second rollers, where it's just like a sleight of hand magic thing. Yeah, that a classic is... example is that one that Martin Tapau set up for his teammate, was it two weeks ago? Yeah, yeah. Where it's like, uh, you've got to look back at it because you're like, I don't even know what happened then. Yeah. And that sort of stuff doesn't show up on a statistic. That comes up as an offload and a, and a try assist. That's you know? right. And that play might happen in you know, a few metres. Just because you've ran a long way doesn't mean necessarily that you've had some incredible attacking play. No. But that's what they're trying to paint it as. That's right. An intercept is another one. Yes. Um, now, Sissy, fatigue does not appear to be impacting on-field performances or decision-making. Now, this is where the whole argument breaks down, mm-hmm. is it? People aren't saying that fatigue is impacting decision-making. The line has been that fatigue is impacting a player's ability to get set in the right position to make a tackle effectively mm-hmm. instead of making a sloppy tackle where a player might get concussed. And mm-hmm. I'm not talking about they're just making a high tackle. Yeah. Okay, I'm talking about they may not get, you know, the defender may not get set when they're going for a low tackle. And, you know, you've seen it before. They get their head and it hit, bangs on the hip of a the ball carrier yeah. and they just hit the ground backwards and they're knocked out. Yeah. Um, we're seeing players having head clashes with other players' heads. Sometimes their own teammates yeah. because they're not getting set properly. They're not seeing where, the, where their teammate is. You know, the timing and the tackle is off. And, and these are all tackles that are legit. Yeah. And they're brave. And they, there comes a point where, and it's something that is, is sort of put into you as a rugby league player where it's like, if you just if you have to just throw your body in the way, man. If that's all you've got left, just throw your body at them, and hopefully that's enough. And we've seen play like Jake Friend did that a lot, and he had to retire because of it this year. Because you know, like these players are stuffed, and they're yeah. stuffed really, really early in the game. I've seen more teams be absolutely out of it in the first half this year than I ever have before. And I don't care what statistics they come up with. Like, 
everybody that's watching these games can see it. And there are some teams that you see get tired and you're like, they're about to get absolutely flogged. And it happens. That's all right. That's exactly right. Um, so with the the fatigued or the fatigue impact on, you know, impact it's having on concussions and stuff like that, uh, NRL physio, Brian Cini, who we've had on the podcast, um, he put out an interesting graphic where he looked at where a player got uh, was tackling. And this is for a player who failed their HIA or ended up with a concussion. 37% of the time, the tackler went high. Yeah. 37%. We're not even talking about half. So yeah. all of a sudden we're doing this massive crackdown on high tackles. It's, again, it just proves the point. It's not high tackles that's the problem. You know, 20% are where the tackle is low, a bent mm-hmm. tackler, their contact is low from the abdomen and below. Mm-hmm. 33% are when it's the ball carrier who's getting concussed in a collision. 10% when it's just a basic collision in a contest. There's no area where it's, you know, 50 or 60% or even 40% somewhere. Yeah. There's no outrageous area where you're right. like, oh, wow, we've got to stop that, you know. That's right. And so there's no there's no clear spot area where that's, you know, it isn't players being lazy that's causing this. You know, as, when I'm saying lazy, they're not sitting there and just sticking around intentionally trying to hit someone around the head. Mm. Concussions happen all over the place. So yeah. why a crackdown on high tackles all of a sudden? Like no yeah. one said that they're being fatigued and therefore fatigued a fatigued defender automatically tackles high. No, a fatigued defender doesn't get set and they get themselves injured more often than the ball carrier gets injured. Yeah. That's the point that's being made. And it's like, it's just a basic thing of, you know, the more fatigued you get, the, the less you rely on, on your ability to make a solid tackle. You know, you don't get set properly. Yeah. You don't get moving off the line quick enough and you get yourself in a bad position. And we've seen that all year. We saw it in the games tonight. There was a lot of games where players just got in a bad position and got completely knocked out. And, you know, you can say there's no rule that you can have that will fix that. But the rules that have been brought in have most certainly exacerbated that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the point that is being completely lost here. Volandi seems to think that when people are talking about fatigue, that it's impacting the the quality of attack. Mm. That's never been the argument. The argument has been fatigue is causing an impact on defenders more often than not and how they're getting concussed. Yeah. That's what we're worried about. And it's Players the- have been complaining about the fact that the new rules are having an impact in, in fatigue and that's having an impact on how many of them are getting concussed. Well, like, have you got through that first page yet? Yeah, that's the end of it there. Okay, so we this is where we should read the statement that was put out by the Rugby League Players Association. Um, and it was kind of shocking because they'd been very quiet up until now. And they put out this statement. I'll read it for you now. It says, The Rugby League Players Association notes the release of season-to-date statistics by the National Rugby League today. The RLPA is adamant that prior to making any definitive statements concerning the playing environment, all information must be thoroughly tested and scrutinised. 
players have provided the RLPA with direct feedback throughout the season regarding changes to the level of fatigue and match demands, which have been shared with the NRL. While it may not have been the intention, dismissing the feelings and experiences of players as perception in this statement lacks awareness and respect for those playing the game. The need for transparency has never been more important and the RLPA will request further data from the NRL and clubs before confirming our position and making any recommendations for change. So they're not happy because the, the, the NRL really did. They basically, they dismissed fans, but more importantly, they dismissed the players' concerns of the fatigue factor. Yep. And, you know, these players are getting bashed out of the game. The, like, have you ever seen a season where so many teams, apart from their seasons being just dramatically shaped by injuries, like how many teams are trotting out, like, lineups where it's a bits and pieces team and then we're seeing so many of their players get injured as well that they're having no one left on the bench. That's right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like the, I think I mentioned the, the uh, last episode I was on where the the rules were designed to apparently bring the little men back into the game. But the majority of the players who have been injured this year are little men. Yeah, yeah. So you're not bringing them back into the game. You're bashing the living shit out of them out of the game. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy and... Like you and me have talked about the, you know, Sam Walker's a great example. You know, a young bloke, a young halfback, as skillful as you like. His vision is amazing. He's doing everything you could ask for. But he's already banged up and he's only played like a few weeks of first grade football. And it's a real concern. Um, Callan Pong is another one. He's getting bashed out of the game. And he's one of our game superstars who's very rarely on the field at the moment. And it is literally because he's been bashed out of the game. And, you know, that how, how you can ignore that and just say, no, no, everything's fine, everything's fine. That uh, You know, disregard what the players and everyone watching the game says. Our new rule set is fantastic for the game. Look how quick they're running. It, it's absolutely ridiculous. It really is. It's insane. Um so you, you produced a bunch of stats here. We're not going to go through them all because most of them are bullshit. And there's no there's no continuity between the stats and the rest of the stats. Because, you know, you can cherry-pick any stat you want, but most stats work best when they get combined with other data. Yes. That's when you start telling a story. Yeah, well, it's like saying, well, how, how can it be... How can we have one of the worst defensive seasons ever from teams when we have one of the best defensive teams of all time in the competition? Exactly. Statistically. And it's like, well, because there's 15 other statistical teams that you're leaving out. That's why. That's right. Uh, I think he made a comment too recently saying that, you know, it's this is all about roster management, which I just went, wow, that's, that was a bad take. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like you've got 30 players. At least you can kill at least eight of them before you start to have to worry. Exactly. Exactly. Come on. I mean, if anything, we should be giving you all a gun. Since we're only average errors per game, the interesting thing is he, he's rounded all the numbers so that you don't get to see what the difference is. It's oh, done really? intentionally to make it look like there's next to no change whatsoever. 
but there's increases. The number of errors, he says, he remains flat before and after implementation of new rules. Fatigue players are more likely to make errors, but we observe no material change. That's that's their one angle. Yeah. Fatigue players are likely to make errors. Yeah, those errors are basically most of them are handling errors or mm-hmm. forward passes. That makes up, I would say, a huge percentage of those errors. It doesn't count defensive reads, mistakes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, bad decoy runs, um, you know, all these other errors that come into play. Players who go for a decoy run and stand in the line. Yeah. Um, you know, players being offside, that sort of thing. A lot of players are offside because they can't be asked running all the way back because they're tired. So they stand and they wait for the play to get to where they are to run them on side. You know, sometimes that happens. It's just a stupid thing. Average ball in play. The amount of ball in play is an indicator of live game time. It has risen 30 seconds per game since 2019, but reduced by 54 seconds from 2020. So again, they wanted to have the games be have less stoppages mm-hmm. and have the game in play more often. And here they're talking about how they've effectively got less time in play. Yeah. And, you know, how much of that is, you know, time is being left, time is coming off the clock because, you know, we've we've realised that somebody's down on the ground, knocked out unconscious Four plays because ago. they've thrown themselves into the wrong position. Yeah. Um. Average time the ball is in play before a stoppage. The average lifetime the ball is in play is five seconds longer before a stoppage from 2019, but there's been no change from 2020 to 2021. There has been. It's just been rounded up, so that says 62 seconds for both. Uh, that was, Isn't that convenient? Yeah. <laughs> average tries per game. I don't know why they brought this up. There's one additional try per game in 2021 compared to 2019, which leads to an additional stoppage per game. Yeah, one stoppage. It's hardly need to crow about. It's it's really crazy to me. The crazy, yeah. Like to to put together statistics and look. If if I said to you, Andrew, sit down and write down a bunch of statistics that are outrageously bad, you could do it, right? You could come down, yeah. come up with statistics that say, you know what, rugby league players can't score tries, you know, on the left hand side of the field or something, and just. You cherry pick what you you want to it, the stats to say. Yeah, I I've never seen like the disconnect between what they put out and what you actually watch during a game is so massive that it's a real worry. If they really believe this shit, they don't know what they're doing at all. Like if they're going by statistics. Like, they might be getting handed these statistics by someone and saying, hey, look, everything's going great, and they're like, beauty. But if you watch the game, it's terrible right well, now. that's right. But see, they would have been handed a bunch of stats and go, okay, which ones suit our argument? Yeah. And put those ones out. Because this thing about, he says, he puts on here, one additional try per game leads to an additional stoppage per game. He does not mention how many fewer scrums and penalties there are where you no longer get a stoppage. So that 1.1 extra stoppage you get from having an extra try is completely destroyed by the fact that there's half as many scrums and penalties, which are also stoppages. So you've got all those stoppages are now gone. What do you do about 1.1 extra stoppage per game if you've lost another you know, seven stoppages per game? 
Yeah, and, and like your net gain is minus six. You've 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 taken six extra stoppages out of it. You know that's I'm, that's point. It's just stupid. And like even something like a turnover on the sixth tackle, where you know you have six tackles and that's it. Well, now you can have eighteen tackles on a regular basis in the game. Like that's not even outrageous. Where a few years ago, if you had eighteen tackles in a row. Oh man, you were set. You were set for nearly a half of football if you had one period of eighteen tackles in a row. Now, eighteen tackles in a row. I mean, you know, it's pretty good. Yeah. Now, the next thing he's got on here is play the balls. The number of play the balls is down slightly from twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty one by four a game. Again, that's almost one set. Yeah. Whoopee. Um. This implies, apparently, slightly less tackle count year on year. Now, the thing he doesn't mention there is the fact that there's 14 extra play the balls compared to 2019 per mm-hmm. game. That's two sets. Yeah. Average total distance per player. Players are running less distance per game in 2021 than they were under previous rules in 2019. If you're tired, Peter, you're less likely to run as far. <laughs> and, you know, the funny... And this is where... You start to accumulate enough of these stats where the amazing thing is that this press release basically is saying, we brought in these rules to make rugby league more about fatigue and to increase the number of points being scored and increase the attack. But all of these statistics that we're putting out is saying that none of that has happened. And so which one is it? Like, did they bring in these rules and they did make a major change, which is obvious that they did? Or do they believe they brought in all of these rules and they've had no effect, which means these rule changes have been ridiculous anyway? And, it, right. like, it's it's one or the other, and they've yeah. got to pick which one it is. Sorry. Either you were wrong with your current stance or you are wrong with the rule changes you've made. Either way, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty amazing that they could be so tone deaf um, and, like, just... I don't even know the word for it. I mean, it's like they're sitting in an ivory tower and, they, you know, they're coming out and they're saying, this is what we decree to be happening. And everyone's saying, you're up in your ivory tower. Like, come down here and see what's really going on. Because yeah. it's completely different to the perception they've got of the game. All they're doing right now is they've um they've got a pair of the you know they had a pair of normal shoes on they went we need to put clown shoes on because they're easier to shoot when we're wearing them <laughs> and that's what they're doing and then let's get ourselves two guns so we can make sure we definitely shoot our feet yeah we don't want to miss because that's all they're doing yeah you know, the changes they said they were going to bring in they've just brought out a bunch of stats to prove that those changes have been ineffective. But at the same time, the stats also show how ineffective they are at producing statistics to back up their argument. How how can anyone take them seriously after that bunch of garbage? Yeah, and you know, the scariest stats for me are the ones I'm seeing NRL Physio put out, which are about injury rates, mm-hmm. which are about concussions and things like that. And I keep on waiting for him to put out a stat where it is going in the right direction where there are less injuries, where there are less concussions, and everything is up. Every time he puts out a stat, 
it is increased injury rates. And that's the scariest thing. And, and you know, that backs up the eye test as well. Um, does it, I, mean, I mean, come on, does it pass the pub test, though? Well. <laughs> Depends which pub you go to. Does this yeah, pub have, have any journos in it? Because this, this has been the fascinating part is mm. while all of this criticism has come about, and especially it's been pretty heaped on in the last two weeks, mm-hmm. the media have been working hard to do the old woe is me articles about Peter Williams. What was the one was the other day? I'm not Superman? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that I, I think I saw um, Phil Rothfield say something negative about him on Twitter. Yes. But that's been the only one. It it is weirdly been, it's weirdly felt like a PR campaign. It has. Buzz, Buzz does this so every now and then he will, when he knows he's on the when he knows that he's he's on the nose with the fans. Mm. Every now and then he'll pick up something that the fans are all keen on, mm. and he'll run with what they're doing just to give himself a little bit of favour back amongst the community again. Yeah, I've noticed he does this every now and then. Yeah. Um. Uh, was it three years ago when he brought out the tweet that you know the game is shit now after the penalty crackdown? Most fans are actually pretty open and keen for the ruck to be cleaned up, which is what the rest were doing. Mm-hmm. And he got hammered so much by it that you know about three or four weeks later, he wrote an article about how he apologised and said that the game has never been better and blah blah. blah. <laughs> Spineless piece of shit. Man, you don't kill a cash cow, do you? That's right. <laughs> it's uh, it's, it's been. been like we've seen, um, we've seen Hood uh, Ornament come out, and he's been saying, "Oh, I'm I'm all with with Peter Valenti." We know you are, James. We know you are. We don't care about your opinion. If we cared, we'd we'd listen to it. We'd have your own show, dickhead. Yeah, no one cares. <laughs> There's an interesting article from him. Actually, we're getting off to, off that topic now. But there was, I think, last week he put out a. Uh, an opinion piece where he said that it's possible that Jermaine Asako and Tavita Pengai Jr. could be going to the West Tigers. Yep. And the Broncos put out a release, uh, a statement today saying that both those players had met with Michael Maguire in his capacity as the New Zealand coach. I was like, oh, yeah, you didn't realise that, did you, James? How was that what that was all about? That's what the Broncos statement said, yeah. Uh, I see. I didn't know that because that, a lot of that, <laughs> That started blowing up today while we were recording that the previous podcast with me and Nadine. And we finished it and then we started reading what was going on. And it had sort of almost resolved itself, uh, you know, by the time we'd finished the podcast. And I, I can't believe that's what it was about. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, you'd, you'd think that a, a league reporter would know who the international coaches are. Yeah, or at least, you know, ask someone. Well, yeah, you know, fact-checking is, is a, it's a great asset. Yeah, yeah. It's a pity it's like, oh, the people what were you talking the, about, you know? It's a pity the people running the game and the people who report on it don't do much of it. I reckon, I That's that's pretty incredible, that is. So, um, if there's anything I'll, I'll get out of this for everybody else is that is um, if you're on Twitter, go and follow all of these independent stats guys. Yes. Uh, Pythago NRL, uh, CT Rug- Obstruction, I think there is. Yep, Rugby the, League Eye Test is another one. That's I follow a classic him. one, yep. Uh, the Cobble um, and Throw is another good one. I, I follow... I I don't follow all of them, but because it's only because... Um, I Like, I follow Rugby League Eye Test. Yep. And 
it's it's simply because they there's so much content that they all put out and like i found when i was I, if i followed too many of them i'd just have rugby league stats on my timeline what's wrong with um, that well you know i like other things on my timeline as well nrl stats oh well super link stats i only have i only have one statistical guru in my life andrew and I do follow David Middleton. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. I was going to say, who is it? <laughs> oh, shit. No, there you go. But, yeah, those people are off into There's also uh, Jason Oliver's another one. Um, yep. Find them. There's plenty of them out there, and they're all they're all spew out the facts. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. Um, but, yeah, don't... don't don't fucking eat the shit that the mainstream media, Peter Valenti's body Fiji, because as we've seen, they're not very good at what they with what they're cooking. Yeah, it's very interesting, and like from the very beginning of our podcast, we've talked about the independent content creators in rugby league, and it's cool because there's so many of them. And over the last, it's really been the last eighteen months, every single one of them has got more prominence, and it's because people have realized how good their analysis of the game all is and how much better it is than the mainstream media because the mainstream media is getting worse it's really weird um and like one of the things i noticed recently was in the the big tipping competition where they have um like the journalists and the you know the commentators and all that you know on uh, who tipped what yep. all of the top ones for the most part, are these are the content creators, the independent content creators, um, all of the best podcasts are independent podcasts. And it's really cool to see all of that growing and everyone starting to get more followers and more, you know, interest from new people and stuff. I, I love it. I love seeing all that sort of thing. Absolutely. It's the fans taking our game back. We just need to yeah. get rid of the dickhead that's in charge of the IRLC. Yep. Yes. Lead me to another question, which is a question without notice, I guess. Mm-hmm. That is, where the fuck is Andrew Abdo? Well, you know what? I saw him making a couple of announcements during Magic Weekend when they, they made an announcement um, on Fox Sports with the mayor of Brisbane, I think it was, about how they're going back there next year. But he is pretty anonymous, isn't he? Like... And and I don't necessarily think that's the worst thing in the world. Like I can see where there's where the CEO of the NRL is literally an administrator. Because in the past, the CEO of the NRL was the the person running the main competition, and the ARL New South Wales Rugby League Queensland Rugby League was kind of in the background running the rest of the game. But it was on a very they were very much in the background. And the NRL was the one making the decisions. And when the independent commission come in, the independent commission was running everything and the NRL CEO was below that level. And he answered to the commission. And that's really the way it should be. Now, when Peter Volandis come in, he took all of the power away from the NRL CEO in terms of being a mouthpiece for the game. He took it himself as the chairman. He's the first chairman to really do that. And yeah, Andrew Abdo is really just, you very rarely see him. And when you see him, he doesn't really say anything. And that can be a good and a bad bad thing. But, you know, I guess it depends. 
like, and I, I've said I wanted a dictator in charge. I wanted somebody that said, I'm in charge of everything. And it's it's turned out to be the wrong choice, you know. No, we need someone like that, but we need to have someone who understands what rugby league needs. Yeah. Peter Valenius is not that person. No. I mean, as we were discussing before, he he comes from horse racing where all you have to do is make sure the races continue so that the the punters can keep betting their money because that's the only reason why racing exists. If you stop betting, you stop mm-hmm. horse racing and dog racing and stuff on the spot. Mm-hmm. So it's purely for gambling. Yeah, that, it's a completely different how, dynamic. Yeah, like he, he could not walk into any sport, not AFL, not soccer, not even soccer in Australia or Super League over in England or basketball anywhere. You know, you can't walk into any sport and run it like it's horse racing. No. is You will be an abject failure at it. And given that he's not exactly the, you know, golden messiah, an absolute, um, you know, genius manager, in racing as a lot of people like to think he is. How the hell have we hung on to him in the NRL? I don't get it. Yeah. And the thing that I don't understand is like the, the ARL board or the ARL commission, it, they wanted to have a bunch of people from different areas. And I think if you have somebody like him on the board, it's not a bad thing. It's, he does come from a, a very specific industry. And, you know, even if you look at it from the gambling perspective, it's it might be good to have somebody on the board that comes from an industry that is based on gambling so that if there is a gambling issue you have to face, whether it be a negotiation with bookies, bookie companies or whatever, you've got somebody with that background. But I think to have him running the game it's just not working. And I've got a question for you because I've, it's a question that's been put to me a few times in terms of the rules that you like and dislike. Like I, I think it's pretty straightforward for me. I would go back to the rules we had before COVID. Are there rules that you would keep after COVID that they've brought in? Um, anything to do with HIAs. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically the 18th man. I'm not. I'm not opposed to that. Yeah. Um, probably needs a bit of tweaking, but um, I'd. That'd be it. The the main impact. The main. You know, most of the rule changes they've brought in, I've been very strongly opposed to because none of them were required. None of them were asked for. Mm-hmm. The game was in a situation where it needed them. So. Yeah, I'd you know I'd take take the rules back to 2019. Yeah, and then scrap the seven tackle set for kicking the ball dead. One hundred percent. Take that back to just being a normal six tackle set from the 20 meter line, mm-hmm. as it used to be. Um, go back to two refs. Go back to having the bunker being used as it was back then. Not this mm-hmm. farcical system now where you put points on the board and then everyone stands around for three minutes to uh, take points off the board. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was born out of this stupid idea that, you know, people have to wait to celebrate a try. What do you do? 
Now yeah. we get to celebrate a try being scored, and then we wait to get fucking pissed off because we're yeah. bored. How's that an improvement? Well, that's the thing. Like, I'm watching these games, and I'm like, how many of these things have they brought in? They're just making people angry. Yeah. Like, it's not enjoyable. It's not fun. At least oh. with the video, if you could say, you know what? We watch on the scoreboard, and we see if they give the try. Now it's like, oh, they took a try off. Oh, they, you know, well, oh, we've got Max because you don't get to celebrate the fact a try has been scored because you know now that it could get taken away. So the try gets scored, and then you automatically look at the screen, and you're like, is it going? Is it? Is it like, hang on, is are we getting the try or? Yeah. No, no, they're going to look at. Oh, they're going to look at. It. Are they looking at? Oh, no, they're not going to look at. Well, the feeling's gone. Yep. Yeah, just get a little golf clap. Yeah, that that was good. Well done. And and we're starting to get to a point where they're looking for, you know, and I know this was said before with the the video ref, how it used to be. But now they're really looking for reasons to not give tries in every single try that's scored. Yes. Um, did you see, too, there was talk, it might have been in the mainstream media in the last day or two, about the fact that they're looking at computer technology to rule on forward passes. Oh, <laughs> I know. And, it, like, and remember, I think it was last year we had a, an episode where I said... I think that eventually sport will get to a point where people reject a lot of the technology and because our lives are so full of technology and only yet and more full of technology and that we will love the fact we can sit down and a bunch of people go out there with a, a leather ball or a synthetic ball or whatever and they play on grass and the technology isn't there. It's human beings do, just doing stuff, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I really do. I feel like that will happen eventually, because we're going to be we're so used to seeing screens, and you know, we. I mean, I've got a little computer on my wrist. I'm sitting on a computer talking to it. I've got a computer next to me that goes in my pocket that I can make calls on. Everything's a computer. Your TV's a computer these days, you know. And I think that that the sport could be an area where it's an escape from that. And the idea that we're going to have, you know, we're literally going to have a computer algorithm saying forward pass, please don't do that. Exactly. And, the, I mean, my biggest cons- my biggest pet peeve on it is just another thing coming into the game to, um, you know, shit on referees. Yeah. that's what a lot of this is based on is the mainstream media hates referees. They love Peter Volandis. So... Every time they give him praise, in return they want referees to be shit on a bit more, and so they they put forward these proposals all the time, and they love them, knowing that Peter Williams will push it through like it's some great fucking achievement or improvement to the game. It's just not going to be because, as we're seeing now, when we've got the bunker looking at things, and I know it's still humans just looking at computer screens, mm-hmm. but you've got that technology at your hand now, and even when it makes mistakes, people get even more pissed off because they're going, oh, "We've got the technology now. How are we still getting it wrong?" True, it's and you know, forward pass has been determined by a fucking computer that doesn't understand physics. Yeah, and like, I mean, even if they get it perfect, even if they get it one hundred percent perfect, and it unequivocally works, do we really want fucking Hal to say forward pass? You know? Yeah. At we what don't. point? What point do we get to? Do we get to where the, there's no referee on the field? It's just a voice on the, over the PA. Yeah. Pulling the game up every now and then. 
I, I tell you, one of the abject failures of all of these rule changes, the captain's challenge has been proven to be absolutely ridiculous. Yep. How many times they do a captain's challenge, apart, take away where they literally do it just for a rest. But how many times a player, and it happened in the game today, Roger Tulvasa-Shek, he got up and was adamant, I'm going to challenge this one. It was about 30 seconds after they'd got a challenge going their direction. And he just flat out dropped the ball. Yeah. And it just shows that, like, the vast majority of times, the referees are right. Yep. They are. And the ones they're getting wrong are not howlers. See, no, you can you can be like, well, you know what? There, there are so many of them that they, when the referee has found to have been made the wrong decision initially, you you say to yourself, "Wow, I thought the referee was right." You know, I didn't see that. Yeah, that's right, and you know that's where the the third umpire came into cricket was to eliminate the howlers. You know, the play's been given to LBW, even though the ball's gone, you know, three inches down leg side and stuff like that. And I'll say this about cricket too. When when that technology was brought in, I think most people were like, this is good. Now you can't watch a game of cricket where they're not bringing out a, a fucking computer-based set square every 20 minutes to decide what happened. And I'm watching it thinking like, isn't the whole idea of cricket that you've got a, a, a leather ball, everyone's using wooden bats, you got wooden stumps, you're playing on a field, and it's it's a very basic sort of elemental sport. It's supposed to be the same sport that they played, you know, 120, 130 years ago. Like, that's supposed to be the beauty of it. And here I am watching something that looks like a video game. Like, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. It's, um, it's been amazing. I mean, the fact, too, is you can go onto YouTube and look for videos of DRS failures. And some of yeah. them are absolutely shocking. You go, yeah, cricket would be easier for a computer to work on. And the fact it still makes errors there. There's even howlers in tennis mm-hmm. where there's just lines and a net to deal with. Mm-hmm. You don't need to worry about physics so much as, as much there. And it still makes mistakes. Yeah. You just go, if it's making mistakes in sports where it should be able to do it rather easily... It's got no chance in, in rugby league. We listen to all the people who complain about the, um, was it VAR in soccer? Yes. That's just doing offsides, which is not that complicated either. You're not worrying about the ball or anything there. You're just looking at where feet are and stuff, and it still gets that wrong. Yeah, and it, it all just makes people angry. Like yeah. it, that's That's the end result is that all of this stuff is making people angry, and we're supposed to be doing something that makes people happy. And I don't think there's too many rugby league fans that are really properly happy right now with what's going on. No. And it's real. I don't blame them. Like, yeah, you know, most of the league, their season is over. A good portion of them are absolutely hopeless. The football is bad. The decisions feel like they're going against almost every team because there are so many decisions that are literally set up like that. I mean, if you score a try and then they take it off the field, off the screen, and, and take the points off the board, of course you feel like the the officials are against you. It's kind of set up to feel that way. That's, That's right. not how we should be setting things up. No, we should be trying to support our referees, mm. not make them out to be the enemies all the fucking time, because they're not. No. 
they've got a hard enough job as it is. Why make it harder for them and why make them, you know, absolutely detested by the fan base? I don't understand this. They're getting no support from the internet. It gets worse because every fucking Monday, old dickhead gets out there with his fucking pointer and throws every single one of them under a bus one at a time. It's your turn now. Yeah. Your turn next. Yeah. Get up. We're going to do it again next week. And they've got this thing where they, and I understand it to a point, they want to keep the officials anonymous to a certain extent. And I get it. There's a, a feeling of like a referee supposed to be. Uh, a nobody. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You don't want to see where referees become celebrities and things like that. But at the same time, like we, we had that chat with, with uh, Casey Badger and we absolutely loved it. And, you know, I think it gave us both a, it really impressed us the way she talked about the game, about the way they prepare, the different things they've got to deal with. And it gave us a new appreciation for what referees and, and touch judges have to go through. And I don't see how that's a bad thing. Like, I, I feel like if referees were able to, you know, go on, like if they were allowed to go on, say, NRL 360 once a month, you know, a different referee each time, and just talk about the game, and people would say, you know what? These people love the game, and they're experts. They're absolute experts. There's maybe nobody that's more of an expert in rugby league than refs. Well, I'd actually argue that NRL 360 should entirely be a panel show comprising of no one but refs. I'd watch it. And re- refs who are good at what they do, so no Bill Harrigan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about when we need to talk about the spirit of the game, Andrew? Yeah, he can get fucked. <laughs> Well, can you imagine if there was a, a panel show, even if it was every two weeks, where you get, say, four referees sit around and they talk about maybe things that are going on in the game? Yeah, you, uh, could, have, you could have a, a recently retired ref, mm-hmm. um, you know, someone who might be involved with the refereeing at the game at the moment, and a past ref, like Greg McCallum or someone like that. Yeah. and. Every week they could have a guest on. It could be a, a current referee in the game. It'd be fascinating to listen to them talk. It'd be brilliant. Mm. I would tune into that ahead of any show which figures that yelling at one another can be enhanced by getting another louder, more boorish dickhead on there to yell over the top of everybody else. 100%. And I, look, I could see where you could have a... It, like somebody like Fox Sports could have a rolling sort of schedule where... One week they get four NRL coaches on. They just have a chat. They're like, sit down and talk. They Then the next week they do it with referees. Then the next week they do it with current players. And you get all of those perspectives on the game. And I, I would love that. That would be so good. Yeah, except, you know, that's never going to happen because they don't have bold enough opinions. They don't yell loud enough. Yeah, you're supposed to be able to talk with a ridiculous amount of conviction about something you're obviously wrong about. That's right. That's right. I I, I had every intention of sitting down and watching um, Ray Hadley's debut performance on NRL 360, not because mm. I wanted to, mm-hmm. but because I think we we discussed about we we're going to do it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And I sat down. I turned the TV on. 
and it was about to start up, and I just went, I can't do it. Yeah. I turned it off and walked away. Yeah. No, I'm, I don't know. I've got to get myself into the right frame of mind to sit there and watch those fucking idiots yelling at one another. It's hard work. Yeah, watching that one is really crazy. Like, I will watch, sometimes I'll watch Channel 9's rugby league coverage and I'll hate watch it. And I'll tweet about it. I'll say, like, I'm putting Channel 9 on, feel like a hate watch tonight. And I actually did it on, on uh, Thursday night and the coverage wasn't too bad, actually. Um, but to to sit through NRL 360, you've got to be in a dark place. <laughs> yeah, you really do. It's... <laughs> It's uh, yeah. You gotta hate. You gotta have a lot of hate in your body. Yeah, you gotta be filthy at yourself on some level already going in. <laughs> Sorry, because yeah, they try and set that show up so that you agree with someone, and who really wants to say that they agree with any of those people? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the highlight is when they have uh, Benji on, and when they have James Graham on. Yeah. But it's not enough. It's not enough no. to entice you on. And I could listen to just those two talk about anything about rugby league for They need to have their own end. podcast. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That'd be brilliant. But, uh, yeah, that that's pretty much it. Um, I've, I've seen that they've had a few of them out there with some um, putting out their origin team list. Mm-hmm. I think it was Mark Carroll put his out the other day. Mm-hmm. So I went, hmm, glad you're not a selector. <laughs> I actually, after the last episode I did with Nadine, I told her my origin team, my New South Wales team, which is I've got two more, two more players I want to select, and I haven't I haven't decided who they are yet. But I told her my team, and she was a little bit surprised by it. And that's all I'm going to say because we're going to have it. We're going to have to do an episode. And by the way, she told me to tell you to you know, fucking hurry up and put your team together. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Yeah. Did she do what she talked about for next year? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I guess the Origin teams get picked, what, in about two weeks from now? Yeah, so I'll, I'll have to do mine this week. Yeah. I'll email it through. Yeah, even if you just email it through and I, me and Nadine can talk about it or um, yeah. if I have another guest. Cause, and I've said, I said on the last episode... You know, at least until the last episode, we'll we'll already know this. But because you've got a, a new little one that you're dealing with, that every so often there'll be episodes with, that I'll do with somebody else, and eventually that'll change, and, and Andrew will get back onto a normal schedule. But yeah, we get, we just you know it is what it is, and and that's it's great, it's fantastic. And let's be honest, you're not tuning in for me. Oh, don't be like that. Everyone loves you, Andrew. I I know that we get hate <laughs> listeners for me. It's great. Oh, you never know. <laughs> Come on, I've, I've been on Twitter long enough to know that statisticians and historians aren't supposed to have a personality or an opinion. I know, that's so weird, hey? Yeah, they get pretty angry at me when I come out with an opinion. Some bloke had a go at me the other day because I made a joke. It, it's like you're supposed <laughs> to just be a calculation robot. That's it. Yeah. Don't, don't be funny. Um, I'm not saying I am funny, but, you know, I try to be sometimes. Apparently, I'm not allowed to. Um, but, yeah, there was some article coming out saying that some some coach during Magic Weekend mm-hmm. got got the shits at a restaurant or something like that. Yeah. And he was, like, having a big fucking tantrum. And so I replied, oh, yeah, that's clearly Wayne Bennett. Because, <laughs> you know, 
he's a pretty placid sort of human. So yeah, yeah. he's going to blow up. But uh, this person's going, well, it wasn't Wayne Bennett because I saw him doing this and going there. And you know, he's with his daughter. I'm like, mate, it's a joke. And yeah. he kept going. I went, the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Every so often you run into someone on Twitter. And, and uh, the thing that gets me is I get too deep into it before I realize I'm the fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's like, what am I doing? What yeah. am I doing arguing like that? That this stupid shit. I think. I think what we need to do from now on, both of us, is if someone starts having a stupid argument with like that, we should just reply with, "Do you want a hug?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not aggressive. But it's also no. to let people know that we don't care enough about this opinion to have this sort of boisterous attitude about it. Just calm the fuck down. Yeah, there have been times where I've somebody will make a, a an argument that I find ridiculous, and I get so deep into it trying to explain, it and I'm like, "Why am I? I'm not going to convince this person." So I just completely flip and say, "You know what? You've convinced me. You're right." <laughs> and it really kills it dead. It's pretty good when you do that. See, I've always been a bit more, um, a bit more smart-assy about it. And say, look, yeah. I said, obviously you're wrong, and you lack the the uh, intellectual capacity to understand that I'm right. So we'll just have to call a spade a spade and move on. See, I, <laughs> I've got to be careful because my tweets, I don't, I don't know why they come across aggressive, and I'm not sure why. <laughs> you may have talked about this. We have, yeah. Uh, like, I don't know, and like that's why. I hope people listen to the podcast sometimes and they're like, he's actually like not a fucking angry person, but you literally will read my tweets and I sound like I'm really aggressive and angry and shit. So I can't actually say things to people like that because I know it will come off as (laughs) uber aggressive. (laughs) See, I do, but people just go, oh, fine. He's just been a dickhead now. They just stop replying. Yeah, that's the result I wanted. Yeah. I I can't do that. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Well, there anything else that went on? Oh, yeah, there was something about um, Clive Palmer was in the news. Yeah. It, did, made... it was pretty good. So uh, Clive Palmer has decided that he's going to support Israel Folau in his pursuit to get back into rugby league. Now... The thing that I found interesting about this was there was an article today in the mainstream media talking about how the team that he's linked up with, which I think is the Southport Tigers in Queensland, mm-hmm. are saying, will Israel Folau sing their song? Because the song talks about lesbians sitting on their faces. And I thought, how really? is how is whether Israel Folau sing that song the story and not the fact that that fucking part of the song actually fucking exists? I want to hear this song. How do we have a footy team song that's got those words in there, and yet that's not the story? <laughs> the fuck? They sit there on this moral high ground about Israel Folau and this holier-than-our attitude towards him, and then you get a, a team that's got this song in there being, you know, men talking about having lesbians sitting on their faces, and they're like, that's fine. I wonder if Israel Folau will sing. I'm like, no, it's not fine, you fucking idiots. <laughs> like, what you've done is you've proven that the moral high ground you're standing on has less substance than the thinnest of air. It's a strange one, hey? It's fucking stupid. Yeah. And they're sitting there and they're still trying to, still trying to, you know, 
get Israel Flair back into digging that hole about the Tweetsity movies at Rugby Australia, which were fucking stupid. There's no excuses for that. We're not fucking supporting him on that and or, you know, pretty much anything. But yeah. he came out and he said, you know, he, he has kind of come out and said that he met them, but he's not going back and saying that. He's just saying, you know, I'm a Christian and I believe all the words in the Bible. Yeah. And he, he said, that's I understand what that's what Christians do. Yeah. He, he said, I didn't write the Bible, but I believe everything that's in the book. And it was, and I believe he said it was the word of God, um, you know, and, and that's up to him. Uh, I just, I just found the whole spectacle strange. And I think that uh, th- there was also the other thing that come out of it all is that the Catalan Dragons put out a press release uh, only a few hours ago, and they said he's basically still under contract with him, them and that they haven't released him to anyone and that they would need to release him to any rugby league club or rugby union club, whether that be a professional club or an amateur club, and they're looking at their options. So I found yeah. that interesting uh, as well. The reason why he came back to Australia, I believe, is because his mother-in-law was ill. Mm-hmm. So he's not back here purely because he's trying to get out of his deal at Catalan. I think he's back here for personal reasons, mm. genuine personal reasons. Um, so... But, yeah, I hadn't read anywhere that Catalan had let him go. So I don't know how he can go about signing a contract to play elsewhere. Yeah. Um, I'll have to forego any money that he was supposed to get this year from that deal, which I don't think that would be an issue. I think Catalan would just say, oh, if you want to play in Australia, then we'll just terminate your contract and we won't pay you out. And he'd be like, oh, fair enough. You know, Clive's giving me money now. Yeah, the, the other thing I could see Catalan doing is picking up a pretty handy player from the Queensland Cup even that would do, that would be good for them as well. So, yeah, I'm wondering how long it'll be before Israel Flair gets back into the Broncos camp with all the other uh, former players that have been out of the scene. You know, they've got Carmichael Hunt there now. Yeah, I. Uh, they would have to play it very carefully, I think. I feel like it would have to happen. It, it might be something you would see happen around the third origin match, something like that, where... There's something big that's taken everyone's sort of attention. Another rule they... change. Hey? Another rule change. Yes. <laughs> by the time we get to Origin 3, we'll have had 15 rule changes by then. But, uh, it, yeah, it, they would have to play it very, very carefully, I would suggest. But, you know. I reckon Brisbane would be mad enough to, to go down that path and not give a shit about the, uh, the bad press that have come with it. And look, at some point, like these rugby league clubs, they a lot of the people in them don't have a moral compass. They're driven by results and keeping your job by getting results. And at some point, you know, if your job's on the line and you and there's literally a talent vacuum and you can get a guy that you know is going to get a job done, it's very hard to say no. We don't want him here on moral grounds. And if that means that I'm out of a job in two months from now, well, then so be it. There's very few people in rugby league would say that. Yeah, that's true. Um, so it's, uh, I wouldn't say it's an interesting story. I'd say what it is, is a funny side story. Yeah, that's the best way to put it. It's, it's, uh, 
uh, there's a little bit of a car crash element to it, isn't there? There is. And I, I say funny in the, uh, not, not so much in a literal sense, more in the fact that you've got two, two of the most dis, disliked um, idiots that Australia's got to offer at the moment, Clive Palmer and Israel Folau, teaming together, pulling together all their resources just so that one could play rugby league in Australia. Like, and they make a big song and dance about it. Clive, he's he's got a track record now of shit investments. You know, there's Titanic Two. Hey, I've like, still all I've still got a ticket for Titanic Two. What are you talking about? <laughs> is there a flair? His political career, you know. He's good at wasting money on things that's just never going to have any, uh, never going to come to fruition. See, I disagree with you completely, Andrew. I, Clive, and I know you listen, Clive. You go all in on this, son. You take them all the way to the Supreme Court. You pour all your money into it. Just don't yeah. use a song that you haven't got the rights to. That's... What would, um, let me put it this way. What would, how would you feel yeah. if, say, tomorrow, Mm-hmm. Clive Palmer invests, say, a billion dollars in Bitcoin. I'd be pretty happy with that. I would guess. I wonder how much that would move Bitcoin. Listen, <laughs> whether it would move it upwards is more my point. That reminds me, you and me have to talk about my investments in Bitcoin, Andrew. It's been a rough few days. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I you were busy making a human being, but oh man! <laughs> yeah, how long before you start knocking on my door and telling me Amway shit? <laughs> All I can tell you is the Shiba Union market's been really soft lately. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Um, we we need a uh, an NRL based currency. Well, we've got plans for that, don't we? We do, we do. We're working on it. We're yeah. talking to our people. Our people are talking to people. Yeah. And then people are getting things sorted. That's right. I've I've been looking up all different types of Ponzi schemes. Um, <laughs> we'll try and get one where we can get away with as much money as possible in a short period of time before getting caught. It'd be good. Yeah. That's the plan. I mean, that's how all Ponzi's work. <laughs> Speaking of Ponzi schemes, how good is our Instagram looking at the moment? It is sweet. Yeah. See, this is the thing. Our stuff looks so much better when we're not doing it. Yeah, it's a, we're, we're a little bit of like uh, last year at the Broncos. Anytime the coach was less involved, they played better. It's like us with the uh, Instagram account. Like the less we have to do with it, the better it, it hums along. Exactly. So we need to get um, need to get Nadine in charge of our. Uh, our Twitter feed, perhaps. Yeah, and our Facebook. Our Facebook, our MySpace. Yep. I know she's. I know she's not keen on the MySpace one, but I think there's. I think it's. I think it's going to go off. I reckon MySpace has got big things. Yeah, it's it's going to come back. Like my Shibu Inu. Oh yeah, <laughs> bounce back hard. It's just having a healthy correction at the moment. Healthy. Awesome. <laughs> Who's it healthy for? It ain't healthy for me. My poor Shibu Inu. Anyway. Uh, Talk it up. 
Yeah, buy some Shiba Inu, everyone. I wonder how much it would cost to buy, like, one of those coins before it makes it move, hey? I don't know. I see. Maybe that's a tier you can have on your on your Patreon. <laughs> Please. If you, if you spend $5 a month, you, you'll get one Shiba Inu. <laughs> no, nah, I tell you what, if you spent... It sounds like I'm hocking it now. It Like, five <laughs> bucks... If you spent five bucks on Shiba Inu, you'd get, like, about a quarter of a million Shiba Inus. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just got to wait 47 years for it to start to move because all the other ones have completely gone bust. Just I just need it to go to a dollar, and I'm, I'll buy a house. I'm going to buy... A replica of the General Lee. That'll be sweet. There you go. There's the plans. Yeah. It's, it's you got to invest in your future sometimes, Andrew. Yeah, well, you know, I've got a house. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> oh, man. That's, that's gone good. Yeah. Good yeah. chat, good chat. Ser- seriously, I'll tell you about where it's at after the podcast. You'll laugh. Uh, you remember yeah. you said you, you. I should tell you about it every so often, so that you know I'm not getting in too deep. I think yeah. this will be when you have a conversation with me. <laughs> <laughs> I think this will be where you, you say, "Now listen." We'll have to have a podcast episode and get people on who who know you. Yeah, <laughs> have a chat with you. What's it called when they confront you? Yeah, uh, just an intervention. Just so freaky, it's okay to sell. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh well, that's been a, a splendid episode. We've, uh, you know, shit upon those stats. Yep. And uh, I think the the main thing I want I want people to know is don't don't swallow what's been fed to you by the NRL or the mainstream media. There's plenty of good people out there doing doing the hard work for you. Uh, so. Get on your social media and check out those people and um, give them a follow, give them a like, give them your money, whatever you got to do to support these guys and these independent content creators because um, that's where you're going to get the actual facts from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and don't just rely on, you know, sources that have a vested interest. Exactly, exactly. Go for people whose only vested interest is the health of the game they love, which exactly. we all love. Yeah, yeah, we do. We do. All right. um, it's good to have you back on the podcast. It's good to be back. Yeah. I think I've only missed like seven episodes that you've done the last three days. Yeah, I've been pumping them out a little bit, hey? Uh, look, at, see um, all this time I didn't realise I was holding you back. Don't be like that. Just, <laughs> um, did, what, did you listen to the one of my 1990s team? I think I told you it already. Uh, no, you haven't told me and I haven't heard it yet. So um, that's on my list tomorrow. Yeah. And then the uh, one you did with Nadine, I'm doing that also tomorrow night, I dare say. Okay, yeah. Catching up. It'll be, it'll be interesting. I know you wanted Tim Brasher on that list. Yeah, you you guarantee me you'd put him on there? Yeah, he was on there already. He was? Yeah, this is a list I put together. My 1990s team I put together many, many years ago. And uh, it hasn't changed. There was no reason to change it. The 1990s is still over. So... Um, so yeah, Tim Brasher was was already on it. Uh, any Englishman in there? Yes. Ellery Hanley? No. Martin Fire? Yes. Aha. Two two absolute legends. Let's say yeah. Ellery was probably more of an eighties man than a nineties one. 
Um, he's at his peak in the eighties. Yeah, I guess he very, was, wasn't he? Very early, like nineteen ninety ninety one. It's probably when the, his peak was probably at its end, I guess. Well, by like, wasn't he the test coach in ninety four? He might have been. He, he went back to Balmain as well. Yeah. Ninety five. He was actually older than the Tigers coach that year. Yeah, yeah. Which is Wayne Pierce. He <laughs> was. Uh, he was doing his best at that point, but you know, still, still doing handy, still doing pretty good. But uh, yeah, Tigers need a lot more than Ellery Hanley, even at his best. Yeah, definitely they are. But yeah, the nineteen nineties team. I like. It's one of those teams where it's. Um, I was really pleased putting it together. So there's a couple of interesting ones in there. Uh, and I talked about that in the episode, but I will do the the Nordies team, which I think will be interesting to people. Um, and yeah, it's something for people to listen to. Absolutely, that's what we do. That's our business. Yeah, <laughs> that was our goal from the the beginning. Let's give yeah. them something to listen to. That's right. We'll just talk shit until they stop listening. <laughs> Sometimes we put stats, stats and history in there just to keep you on your toes. <laughs> All righty, people. Well, uh, thanks for tuning in. It's been a good episode. Mm. And uh, we'll catch you all next time.